All right, good morning, Heights Baptist Church. It's good to kind of be meeting with you this morning. Uh, my name is Carrie Perrin. I'm the former pastor of City View Church in Alvin, and now I'm just a Heights Baptist Church member and life group leader. So I'm happy to be serving you in this way. It's been a good while since I've been able to preach. And so even though I'm with an audience of a whopping one person right now, I'll take it. It's very nice to meet with you in this way. Today we start uh, Pastor Lee's series on Awkward Family Christmas. And one of the most awkward enabling emotions that we can have and feel and cause uh, during this holiday season is grudge holding and having arguments and fights with family members who disagree with us on things we might be passionate about or they might be overly passionate about things we are not. And it can cause us to get into some quarrels that can have some long-lasting effects with our relationship with that person. It reminds me of a funny story that I have ongoing with my children. Turns out, Elf on the Shelf has become a pretty big tradition here uh, in our community and communities I've lived in in the past. And I've gotten to t finally tell my children, we're not allowed to have Elf on the Shelf in my house simply because if you touch one of these elves, if you're not familiar with the, the tradition, you touch one of the elves, you take away its magical Christmas-like Santa powers. And if you do that, then you've ruined the fun of Elf on the Shelf because now the elf can no longer move around the house and do fun things at night while the children are sleeping. And I have finally confessed to my children years ago the reason that we don't have Elf on the Shelf at my house is because I've touched the elf a hundred times in the 80s because I would use the elf to play with my He-Mans or to play with my Luke Skywalkers or all the Ewoks from the 80s, and so because I depowered five different elves, Santa has permanently banned my address from ever owning an elf on the shelf, and as you can imagine, my kids have been pretty disappointed with me. One child in particular still holds a grudge to this day. Last week, this child of mine saw some commercial for the movie Elf on the Shelf, or maybe they must have read the book at school or something, and she just came up to me and said, Dad, I'm still just so disappointed in you that you didn't think of us in the 80s somehow, uh, and you touched all those elves and depowered them, and you caused us to be banned from ever having it, to which I politely reminded her, hey, good news. When you turn 18 and you move out of my house like you're supposed to, you can have all the elves on the shelves back in your life. Uh, it's just my address. You can't ever have it at my address. So remember, when you turn 18, move out. And that's how we deal with that argument. As you know, the arguments that we can have with our own family are much more contentious than that, much more powerful, much more strong-willed. You know what family members, when you get to gatherings, what topics you are not allowed to bring up in front of which ones. I can tell you which uncles, which cousins we are not allowed to talk politics with at all. I can tell you which uncles and cousins do not want to talk about religion at all. And so we avoid those topics just to maintain some peace 
and to focus on what Christmas should be about, uh, the goodness and kindness of our Lord giving his son to us to save us from our sins. And so it should be a time of peace and unification. Yet, as you know, we tend to screw that up because of the sin that is in our hearts. We're going to be in the book of Matthew today, chapter 18, and we're going to look very deeply into a parable by Jesus that talks about how to deal with unforgiveness and the important things we need to remember when we run into that. Let me give you some context of the chapter. In Matthew 18, Jesus seems to focus a lot of his teaching on interpersonal offenses and how we should go about as Christians to handle them. The chapter starts out teaching a principle about personal humility is what leads to greatness in God's kingdom. Then Jesus goes on to talk about, hey, let's not look down on those who might lose their way uh, as they're trying to follow Jesus and they might veer off and chase after a sin for a season. He then goes on to talk about how we should restore a brother or sister who falls into that kind of trap and how we might be able to lead them out of that working together. So this then leads to one of Jesus' disciples asking a very good question about how many times should I forgive a person when they sin against me? And it was a really good question because at the time, and we know this from studying the historical records of rabbis' writings back then uh, in the Talmud and such, and the rabbis at that time, they had kind of a three strikes and you're out rule when it came to committing a sin against a fellow believer, that if I sinned against a person three times, it was okay and permission was then granted to the offendee that they no longer have to forgive me for the many times I've hurt him. So this is kind of the context that's going on when Peter asks his big question. So we're going to pick up in verse 21, and we're going to read this entire parable, which goes to the end of the chapter, and this is how it starts. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord... How often will, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. That's a, again, that's 70 comma seven times, 70 times seven. He's actually saying 490 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Verse 30, but he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. 
And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Today, the main point that I think you and I need to get to is understanding nothing makes a family gathering more awkward than going through division and going through arguments and fighting. Especially if a family is supposed to be filled with Christ followers and true born-again believers. Because we, above all groups of people in the world, are supposed to be people who multiply forgiveness, not withhold it. So that brings me to my first main point today. I want to talk about the sin-filled problem that you and I all have, which is we are very capable of holding grudges very tightly. We hold grudges tighter sometimes than we hold on to Jesus, and that's a huge issue that we keep facing in this day and time. I want us to look deeper into the parable and really understanding a lot of the nuances that Jesus is trying to bring to the people who are listening to him tell this story. It's a story about 10,000 talents. You and I might think of that number as, oh, well, you know, once in a blue moon in my lifetime, I've had debts as big as $10,000. Talents and dollars are not the same thing. In fact, in the Greek language, the number 10,000 is the highest single number Greeks would use in their language. You and I, we can use numbers like trillion, or we can say a crazy number like infinity, if you've ever heard kids argue about how much they believe in something. So for the Greek, 10,000 was as high as you could go. And a talent was the largest form of currency that the Greeks had in their hands capable, and it was equal to about 6,000 days worth of wages. So we don't even have currency that high in our context. You know, the highest dollar I can hold is a $100 bill. This thing is similar to what would be 6,000 days of work. Off the top of my head, that's like my entire retirement. I can't think of a bigger number that gets close to that. This is a huge amount of money for one talent, and this man in this story owes the king 10,000 of them. So he's in billions of dollars of debt, if we were thinking in our context. And as I think about it, what did this slave ask for to borrow money from this king? Uh, Obviously, Jesus is making up these two individuals to make a point But it would have been as if this servant had gone to the king and said, I'd like to borrow all the money I can to go buy an NFL franchise and to build a stadium for them at the same time. This isn't a massive amount of money that he owes this king. It's an amount that to the listener at that time is astounding in magnitude. We're way out of normal when Jesus brings up this amount. So forgiving such an amount is an astounding act of kindness and grace. And as you should be able to put together, we are the type of people who are forgiven that type of amount by our king. But the story continues. 
The story then pivots to another loan amount, a hundred denarii, which is a denarii is a small silver coin equal to one day's worth of work. So in our context, we're, we're thinking of maybe a few hundred dollars for one. He owes a hundred days worth of work, three months worth of work of paychecks he owes to this man. And this evil servant reacts in a fury right after he's been forgiven. And he not only confronts the man who owes him, he even attacks the man and chokes him and says, pay me what you owe. And the evil slave quickly turns into a collections officer. He went from going for begging for forgiveness to now becoming a collections agent. And what's interesting is when I look at this, his sin isn't so much that he's holding a grudge, that he's unforgiving, that he's demanding this debt. What his sin is, is that he was supremely forgiven so much greater than this other man owed him that it's amazing how unforgiving he could react in this way. He is, really his sin is he is supremely hypocritical for how he has been treated that he would then go on and treat this nice servant in such a demanding way. Sadly, as you know, this type of evil hypocrisy is becoming all too common among us in our community, in our own church. Sadly, we fall into these impulses as well, where we are much more quick to argue and fight for our way and demand things, and we don't let go of minor offenses so easily, especially when it comes to family. Family, we can hold them to such a high standard that we don't even hold ourselves to sometimes. And we demand people to act a certain way when they're around us. And if they do not, we become people who reject and push away people. And we hold grudges for really, really long times. Sadly, we've turned into people who should be slow to speak, quick to listen, to becoming quick to argue and fight and be rude and slow to listen. And sadly, we really display this a lot around Christmas time. It doesn't take much for me to go to a jammed line at Walmart or a jammed line at the movie theater and to see people who are Christians talk extremely rude to workers there as if they're in control of what's happening. Sadly, I've seen it in my own family sometimes when we gather together and when an expectation isn't met exactly the way we thought, we've seen people blow up at each other after just moments ago claiming how much they love each other and are excited to see each other. Sadly, Christians in our community continue to earn a bad reputation by the way we basically treat each other and especially how we treat family. So this brings me to my second point that this scripture clearly wants to teach us, which is Christ wants us to loosen these tight grips that we have on old grudges. As you may well know, we are the evil servant in this parable. We are the ones who easily forget how far we were from God before Christ found us. 
And sadly, we tend to think because a lot of us grew up in church buildings like this, that because we grew up here and we are a regular attender here, that Christ didn't have to do much to save us from our sins. That there are worse sinners than us that needed a lot more drops of Christ's blood to get forgiven than I did. And biblically, that's just 100% inaccurate and it's bad theology and it's straight up evil thinking to think that you needed less blood than another person. You and I have a bad warped concept of the power of sin. We think the amount of times I sin is equal to the darkness and blackness and evil that is capable in my own sin-filled flesh and heart. And scripture teaches us one sin is all it took to knock us completely out of God's imperfect heaven. One sin is all it took for Adam and Eve to get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. One act of imperfection is what broke the entire system, which is why we live in a broken world, why we live in a fallen race, is because one mistake is way too much. And you and I, you and I need to regularly come to the grips and conclusion of even if I was the only person to ever sin in all of human history, Christ would still have to pay for my sin the way he did that day on the cross. There is no easy way to unbreak what I have broken with my sin. There is no easy way to wipe away what I have done against God. There is no less amount of drops of blood that I need compared to someone else. In order for my sin to be washed away, Christ had to give it all. And so there wasn't a moment on the cross where Jesus was thinking to himself, well, it could be worse. A few of the church-going type in the future, they sin a little less than all these other evil people in history. So God's punishment and wrath for all this sin is a little more tolerable today the day that I'm dying on the cross. Jesus wasn't thinking that ever. Jesus experienced the full wrath of God, the full hatred of sin, and you and I need to own the fact that it's our sin that is being paid that way. There is no easy way around it. Jesus had to do the most horrible torture in human history and in spiritual history to pay and wash that all away. And it's incredibly arrogant and filled with hubris to think my sin wasn't that bad. When you look at what God the Father did to God the Son on the cross, the conclusion must be made, my sin was that bad. My evil is that bad. And what the evil servant does here in Matthew 18 is he thinks his debt is not a big deal because it's been forgiven. Again, it's astounding amounts of pride and hubris to think this way. But Jesus has noticed this bad behavior before in Luke chapter 7, verse 47. He even says in an interaction with, uh, with one of the Sadducees, I believe, or, or one of the one of the leaders of the religious sect, he says to him when, his, when a prostitute woman washes his feet, he says to the servant who didn't think much of Jesus at the time, therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, 
but he who is forgiven little loves little. And this is my fear when I think about this story, when I think about myself and my upbringing growing up in church. And when I think about my friends here, is that there's a lot of us who are loving Jesus little because we think we are forgiven little. Don't ever think you've been forgiven little. You've been forgiven a multitude, a mass load, a debt you could never pay. You had a debt the size of whatever the owner of the Houston Texans now has with whatever bankers he has his stadium and his franchise with. That's how bad it was for all of us. And that's how bad we need a savior. Christ is abundantly forgiving, just as the master is in this parable. Jesus did not view your sin as a light offense when those nails were going through his, sin, going through his skin and his hands. So you and I, even our best sins, permanently and powerfully broke us completely away from God. And we will forever be indebted to Jesus who paid all this debt. Now, the great news is when we put our full faith and trust in Jesus' forgiveness, Jesus then sends his nature of his Holy Spirit in to live with us. So the same power and character that drove Christ to give, give us forgiveness, that same nature now lives inside of me, now lives inside of you if you've truly been born again. And so if you are holding on to a grudge this Christmas season, it's not because Christ hasn't given you the ability to let it go. Sadly, some of us would rather deny the truth that we have the ability in Christ through the Holy Spirit to forgive anyone and everyone who hurts us. Sadly, we would rather deny that truth that he could empower us to forgive the worst offender in our lives than to let go of a good grudge. Sadly, part of our sin-filled flesh loves holding people captive. Some of us love to mentally choke out some people in our own hearts. We love thinking about what that person did and we love to stew in it and we love to sit in that anger and we even like to imagine the one time we could get with that person and really blow up on them and tell them exactly what they did, how we feel. We really love to marinate in those thoughts because of the sin that still resides in our flesh. You and I have got to get to a point to where we're broken by this sin of division and arguing and keeping score. We really need to learn to let it go just as Christ has let all of our sins go. So that brings me to my third point. What is the biblical application you and I can take? What is the spiritual Holy Spirit-filled solution you and I can take to make this bad attitude go away, to fix what is wrong with us and wrong with the way we treat others? First thing you and I have got to embrace with our hearts and minds is we've got to get good at multiplying. Jesus answered Peter very directly. Peter doesn't throw a small number out there. He says, if my brother sins against me seven times, should I forgive that? Seven's a lot. When I look back in my life and think of all the people who may have hurt me in a strong way, I can't ever really think of somebody who's hit me seven times. I can think of maybe two or three times with the same sin, but it's rare that I get seven times of the same sin. 
And so Peter's not throwing out a small number. He's throwing out, in his mind, double of what the other rabbis say, plus a little more. And then Jesus, in typical fashion, blows away what everyone was thinking and says, I want you to shoot for seven, and I want you to multiply that by 70, and you might be getting there. You and I have got to get good at multiplying forgiveness ourselves. And to me, the only way that you get to where you can multiply that type of forgiveness with somebody is every time you feel and remember those heartaches, those acts of trauma that were committed against you, those offenses that were hit at you, is every time your thoughts veer that way, you and I have got to get into a really good habit of praying and asking Jesus for the ability to forgive. As you and I both know, we can forgive somebody one day and the next day we can still feel that resentment rise up in us again. And so we got to forgive again. And we've got to get into a daily practice of just asking the Spirit to give us the help to forgive that person who hurt and harmed us in those ways. Another thing that we need to do is also remember Forgiving somebody doesn't necessarily mean God is causing you, calling you to fully trust that person again. But it is okay for you to go with God's wisdom and say, yes, I forgive that person, but I'm not going to entrust myself to that person again because I don't know if they're good at holding my heart. I specifically bring this up for those of you who may have family members who've abused you in a real and traumatic way. If you've been abused, if you've been hit, if you've been exploited sexually, if you've been emotionally battered, you don't have to trust that person with your heart. But you do need to forgive them and let go of that grudge for their sake and your own. And one of the best ways that we can go about letting some of those hurts go is praying for that person praying for God to heal that person, praying for God to bring all of his blessings to that person, praying for God to change that person and to make them more like Christ. That is a good thing for anybody. So of course, our worst enemies, that's what we should be praying for them, not for them to fail, not for them to fall hard on their face. We should be praying for them to become more like Jesus because that would solve the problem. The other things that we can do is become people who are great at owning our own mistakes. What I've found in my life, in myself, and as I look at others in churches and out in public, is it seems to me the people who hold the most grudges, the tightest grudges, are also the same people who refuse to ever admit when they're wrong. One of the more powerful scriptures I'll ever read in the Sermon, in the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is when Jesus tells you and I that if we know someone has an offense against us, that we're not allowed to go worship. We're supposed to lay our gift at the altar, go make things right with our brother or sister, then we can come back and worship Christ in a way that makes him happy, that pleases him. We've got to get good at owning our own mistakes before we expect somebody else to own theirs. If we're not going to be people who practice humility 
and apologizing when we're offensive, then why would we ever think somebody else would do that for us? This is a part of the hypocrisy that the evil servant in the parable is displaying. He knows he has done terrible things, and it's his other fellow servants who are the ones that rat him out on this. They're deeply offended at what he did. Yet he doesn't think anything of it. He thinks, I'm owed money. I want that money. So I I don't know why he thinks he needs that money. He just got the biggest debt taken off of his shoulders. But all of a sudden, he doesn't care. Christians, you and I should be the examples that are set for all of our culture around us that we are the first to apologize when we're wrong and we are the first to forgive when we are wronged. That's what Christ calls us to be different. That's what makes us holy, set apart, unique. It's when we own mistakes and when we let others go for their mistakes. That's Christ-likeness. That's probably the ultimate definition of Christ-likeness. It's when we let others go who deserve to be punished. So that brings me to my conclusion, and I'll finish up here. I want you and I to never overlook the many times Jesus talks about forgiving others. Oftentimes in Scripture, even in the Lord's Prayer, he will make these references of, God, we're going to ask the Father, help us to be forgiven as we forgive those who have hurt us, who have debts against us. You need to understand, Jesus says more than one time, if you don't forgive others, God the Father will pull that same card on you. This is a huge warning in Scripture. It's the biggest warning I've seen in Scripture for the believer. I've heard about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit being an unforgivable sin, This seems to be right under that card, and this one is for believers only. Believer, if you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you. Your relationship with him immediately stops. And so we ought not to take this sin lightly at all. We should take this sin incredibly serious. So I want to implore you, as I am imploring myself, forgive those who've offended you this year. Forgive those who've disagreed with you strongly. Forgive those who have held you against your own arguments, all those debates that we've gotten into this year about how pandemics should be handled, about who should be our president. Forgive all those people. Forgive them all. And don't be people who cause offense. I also want to think about the person who's holding a grudge against God because he let you down this year when you asked him not to let something happen and it ended up happening. I've ran into this myself. I know others that have ran into this ourselves. Like We've been in those experiences where we wanted God to stop something and he didn't stop it. And so we've secretly... And even deceptively to ourselves, we've started holding a grudge against God. 
and we've started withholding ourselves from God. I want you to let it go, to let that grudge go, to let God off the hook. And you and I both know he's done nothing wrong. He just didn't meet your expectation. And that's understandable to be offended by, but it's not understandable to hold a grudge against because you and I both know God knows way better than we'll ever know. So you need to accept that truth and you need to get closer to him again and move forward with him. Finally, I want to encourage you to enjoy being with those who don't deserve forgiveness. I want you to enjoy that you've been forgiven in a massive way and enjoy being around imperfect, offensive type people. That is who we're called to reach. That is who we're called to point to Jesus ourselves. That is who we are. You and I need to get into the attitude of stop looking at everybody as a debate enemy and start looking at everybody as the next candidate to join our family. I want you to enjoy that process. It's a good time. It's a great way to worship when you've been forgiven and you can see a new person experience that forgiveness for the first time. And so start with your family this Christmas season. Start with yourself and start just throwing forgiveness out like you're a billionaire in forgiveness. Just throw it out like it doesn't even phase you. So as you go into a weird invitation time online, instead of coming up here and talking with somebody, probably what you and I need to do is we need to pull out our phone and text somebody and say, I'm sorry. Maybe we need to pull up the phone and text somebody and say, I really want to see you at Christmas if I can. I really want to talk with you this year if I can. Let's go bury some hatchets right now during this invitation time. And whoever God's been bringing up to your mind, your heart, right now as we've been talking about this, that's probably the person you need to reach out to and show a lot of Christ loves to right now. So go ahead and do it. This is a great time. No one's around here to watch you go forward and do this. Just do it and talk to that person and make things right, just as Christ loves doing. Christ loves making wrong things right. But it starts with us. So let's start there. And as we continue to worship and praise Jesus, let's let him have all that he wants in our heart and let him go to work and fix it. Let me pray with you. Father, I thank you for this opportunity uh, to dive deeper into this truth in Matthew 18. I thank you for what it's done for me and how you've really pushed me and challenged me in, in powerful ways to let some things go. God, I pray for my friends who are watching that you would help them do the same, that they wouldn't waste this opportunity to let some things go, that they wouldn't excuse it away, but that you would give them a holy motivation to want to go make things right with people. So God, help us to take this thing seriously as you have made it clear you take it seriously and help us to be people who truly enjoy uh, just forgiving others like you have forgiven us. So help us to be joy-filled, Christ-following forgivers this Christmas season and help us to be pleasant people to be with when we're with family this year. It's in Jesus' name that I ask all these things. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. 
I look forward to seeing you in person when we can. Uh, just remember, now's a good time to not ease up on wearing their mask and washing your hands uh, and doing this, the distance thing. So remember, next time we're in here, keep your mask on until we sit down. That's what's going to help us get through this. All right? We'll see you next week. I want to thank you for watching today's message. Right now, I want to encourage you to do something. You know, when we hear the Word of God, the Bible calls us to make a decision. And really, that comes from Jesus. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus is saying, come and follow me. And if you think about all the decisions that you've had to make in your life, some were small decisions, some were big decisions, some were not really important, and some were very important. But the decision of what you're going to do with Jesus Christ in your life is the most important decision that you're ever going to make. See, really, there's only two options. You can walk with Jesus or you could walk away from Jesus. And I want to encourage you right now to walk with Jesus. And the way that you have a relationship with Jesus is you place your faith in Him. You place your trust in Him. And what you're doing by placing your faith and trust in Jesus is you're saying, Jesus, I, I know I have sin. I know I have sin in my life that separates me from God, and I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust that you can bring me to God. See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 21 that Jesus knew no sin, but he was made to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what that means is this, that when Jesus died on the cross, God put all our sin on him. And that when you trust by faith in Jesus, He gets your sin and you get His righteousness. It's called the great exchange. You give Him your sin and He gives you His righteousness. That means you're forgiven. You're forgiven of all the sins that you've ever done and that you're forgiven of all the sins you ever will do. And the Bible says that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that God forgives you of your sin and He forgives you of of the power of sin in your life right now, that when you die, that God will take you to heaven to be with Him for all of eternity. And so if you're ready to do that, I want to encourage you to do that right now where you are. And you simply can pray along with me. Just bow your head and close your eyes. And you can say, Dear God, I know I have sinned. And today I'm ready to trust Jesus as my Savior. Thank you, God, for saving me. You know, friend, if you've prayed that with us today, I want to encourage you to let us know. You can go to heightschurch.org slash connect or simply open the camera app uh, on your phone and put it right over this QR code and that's going to take you to that website. There you can let us know that you prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior. What we'd love to do is celebrate that with you, pray for you, come alongside of you and help you take your next steps of faith. And so I want to thank you for watching today's message. I want to encourage you, if you're able to make it out, we'd love to see you in person here at Heights on Sunday mornings at 9 or 10.30 a.m. Or you can catch us online at 9 and 10.30 a.m. live on Sunday mornings on our Heights Facebook page or Heights YouTube page. So again, until next time, God bless and have a great week.